Well, hello. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Scott. I have the privileged responsibility of being a pastor here at Novation and teaching the Word this morning. So I want to pray. Father, thanks for what you're doing in our lives, personally, in our families, and in this church, in our community, drawing us closer to you. And and God, I know for a lot of folks, there's a lot of struggles, a lot of stress, a lot of strain. Um, May you show yourself strong to them. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray truly that you would be the teacher. We don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in a series called Longing for Eden, where um, we're trekking through Genesis. Like a couple people have asked me, like, you know you're kind of setting us up to preach through the whole Bible, right, over a year. I don't know whose idea that was, but we're doing it. We're, We're all in now. And many of you are doing the Bible Project reading plan, and you've been going through Genesis. And how many know there's some weird stuff in Genesis? Like, but one Bible teacher said, if it's weird, it's probably important. So keep that in mind. And I'm looking forward to Thursday night coming together. Bring your questions, and, and let's let's dialogue about what we're reading and, and what what God has for us. So if you haven't been around for a while or you're new, you can get started on the reading. It doesn't matter that we're all perfectly reading the Bible together. What matters is we're creating that habit and that relational habit of spending time in God's Word. And the sermons on Sunday are going to be in the same zip code, maybe county at least, as where we're at in our, our reading as close as, as possible when it comes to that. And so today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Killer Mother's Day message. I get it, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm praying that this would be helpful and hopeful for all of us. So, well, you got to start with a couple Adam and Eve jokes, right? <laughs> so, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and Ad, uh, Eve says to Adam, she says, are you seeing someone else? And Adam says, no, you're, you're the only woman on earth. And Eve begins to like check him out. And he goes, now what are you doing? And she says, I'm counting your ribs. Uh-oh, you like that one, huh? There's a little girl, she asked her father, she said, how did the human race start? And dad said, well, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and so all of mankind came from them. Two days later, the little girl goes to her mom and uh, asks the same question. And mom answers, she says, many years ago, millions of years ago, there were monkeys and apes, and the human race evolved uh, from that species. Well, the girl got confused, and she returned to her dad She said, Dad, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God, but Mom said we developed from apes and monkeys? And the father said, well, it's very simple, honey. I told you about my side of the family, and she told you about hers. (laughs) This thing is on. Um, So Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve, just Adam. 
he's sitting in the garden with God and he's talking and he says to God, he says, God, you've given me life. You've given me purpose, the purpose of naming all the animals, plenty of food to eat. You've made me comfortable, kept me well fed. Um, However, I'm feeling quite lonely. Is there anything you can do to fix that? And God replies, I will give you a partner and she'll be called Eve. She'll stand by you, support you. She'll lift you up, enforce your rules, and be at your right hand whenever you ask. She will bear your children and raise them to your liking. She will feed you, clothe you, take care of you. She will be beautiful, graceful, and warm. She will be caring and thoughtful and will always be there for you. But it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam thinks for a second and he says, what can I get for a rib? I got one. I had him stay the whole time. I've always wanted a dunk dunk dish. So. John Applegate, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I'll be here all week. Tip your waitresses. Actually, I won't be just here today. I've titled today's message, Hey God, We Got This. Hey God, We Got This. I want to start with the question for us. How did we create the mess that we find ourselves in? It doesn't take too long to look around the world, realize relational problems, war, just all the chaos and brokenness that's around us. And here's my answer. We said, hey God, we got this. When we say, hey God, as an individual, I got this, or as a people, we got this, we're going to make a mess of things. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. When we're wise in our own eyes, we say, Hey God, I got this. Hey God, we got this. We're going to depend upon our own wisdom, our own understanding, interpretation of life. Being wise in your own eyes is defining good and evil on your own without consulting God or what's good and what's bad on your own. He says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That word fear is not a great translation from what the Hebrew word actually intends to say. I mean, it does mean fear, but it also means to stand in awe or a reverential awe of God and a trust of God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And you see that theme throughout Scripture, especially the wisdom literature of of the Bible, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says. So letting God determine good and bad. So let's look at the very first, hey, we got this. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. We got a talking snake right out of the bat here. It's a little strange. Let's, 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 let's admit that. And he said to the woman, Indeed, no, the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, 
But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Okie dokie. <laughs> hey God, we got this. What are we going to learn from this this morning? How can we learn to not be wise in our own eyes and to fear the Lord and to walk in His way and let Him show us the way of life. Broke it down in three ways. The first thing to get a handle on this is I need to understand the root of, hey God, I got this. 
There is a root behind saying, God, I don't want you to, to tell me how to live. I'm going to make my own rules. There's a root behind that. And that root is the word temptation. We're tempted. Temptation is an inevitable part of the human experience. And it's also a thread throughout Scripture, throughout the stories. If you're reading along right now in Genesis, you're seeing temptation to be wise in your own eyes, not just in this story, but in all these stories. And then we make it personal for our own lives. When we're tempted to be to be wise in our own eyes, to make our own decisions without consulting God. Temptation's a test. So temptation begins with a question. It begins with the question, the serpent said to her, has God said or did God say? Temptation always begins by questioning God's word. Like, did God really mean that? Like, it's a little overboard. And he began to, to question it. Then he gets her to question God's character. Because she actually answered that correctly when she said, yeah, God did say not to eat from that tree. And then he says, ah, he's holding out on you. Question God's character. He knows you'll be like him. And so that's where the root of temptation always begins with questioning God's word compared to his wisdom to my wisdom. And then ultimately to question his character. And then once we get caught up in this and we start questioning God's word and his character, it's just like when you go fishing, throw the bait out in the water and the fish comes. When we get to that section, gotcha. And just, it begins to reel us in with the deception to be wise in our own eyes. And then we're, you don't want to be that fish, right? (laughs) Unless you're getting thrown back, which is mercy somehow, some way, but catch this. Did you catch in verse 6? There's a pattern in here of the decept- question and deception and then where it takes us when you're wise in your own eyes. It says, when the woman saw, circle that word saw, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable, circle that word, to make one wise, she took, circle that, from its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Saw, desire, take it. See it, now I desire it, I take it. It's a pattern again of sin that we see in the stories of the Bible. I thought of uh, David. Here's King David. The kingdom of Israel is, is, is flourishing and, and growing. He's a man after God's own heart that we're told, and yet he commits a pretty heinous sin, right? In 2 Samuel 11, David is, should be off to battle with his soldiers, but he's taking a little break. And says, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, catch this, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Desire? So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. He saw, he desired, he took her, and he laid with her. 
And if you know the story, he got her pregnant. And then he tries to cover it up later and has Uriah murdered, killed, basically. He saw, he desired, he took. There's that pattern. Sin is often trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. It's it's a legitimate need, but we go an end around to try to get that God-given need met outside of the way God has prescribed that we get our needs met. So the root of, hey, God, I got this, is we're being tempted to be wise in our own eyes. The second thing, to not be wise in my own eyes, is I need to believe the result of, hey, God, I got this. To say, hey, God, I got this, is to say, God, you really don't know what's best. That's what she was tempted with. That the serpent said, no, he's holding out on you. He doesn't know what's best. And that's going to happen to you and I, and we need to be prepared for it. The tests are coming. The temptations are coming in life, and it's preparing ahead ahead of time. The results of, hey, God, we got this from Adam and Eve is in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They covered up, right? They had this cover up their, their nakedness. There's, there's, they were running around naked and didn't think anything of it. I know that sounds kind of funny, but those of you that have maybe toddlers, toddlers are running around naked and could care less, right? There's no shame. But they were, before they disobeyed, they were naked and unashamed, and now they feel this shame. Two, two types of nakedness, unashamed and, and, and shame. And as you grow older, somebody busts in on you that you don't want busting in on you when you're naked, what are you going to do? Whoop, I mean, you're covering up. And, and, but the metaphor here, the deeper meaning of the shame is the shame is I got to cover up from God. He's mad at me now. I got to cover up from you, people, because if you knew me, you really wouldn't like me or want me. That's what every one of us experience when it comes to, to what shame does to us. So the result is consequences for saying, hey, God, I got this. There's consequences that happen. The first consequence is we walk into darkness. Darkness is believing a lie about God that he's out there distant and disinterested. That's darkness. Therefore, somehow we're left on our own. There's nothing could be further from the truth when we understand the gospel and how much the Father is, loves us and is good to us and wants to remove that darkness. And then we walk in guilt. Like, then we blame, right? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. We've been blaming each other ever since. And then shame covered and then this one's important we forfeit our innocence for they forfeited their innocence when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when we see things when we do things when we hear things it robs our innocence from us i was thinking about little channing sump did you see him this morning walk in in his little cool duds mama so proud um 
you know, he comes in, he, he, he waddles in and smile on his face. And we're all going, man, you are the man, dude. Like he's innocent. He hasn't had anything. He hasn't eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like the rest of us do the older we get. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it just tears another bit of that innocence. He's innocent right now. And I pray he stay as innocent as possible all of his, his life and walk the path of God and fear the Lord and shun evil. I wish I, somebody would have taught me that when I was young. I wish I would have understood what this was about when I was a teenager. And right on that edge of where you start getting your innocence challenged. Young people listening to me, uh, listen, guard your innocence. It's a gift from God to have that sense of innocence where we don't get caught up into all the junk that corrupts our minds and our hearts and ultimately our lives. Don't, Don't learn the hard way like so many of us had to learn and have to deal with pain and fallout older as an adult. You don't have to go that route. Believe that God knows what's best. And, and when he tells us to do something or not to do it, it's because he loves you and he wants what's best for you just the way any good parent does that for their own kids. The fall, what we, this, this chapter is what we call the fall of humanity. And the fall distorted the image of God that we were created in. Like we, were, we are image bearers of God, but when we don't walk in the way he called us to, we're like looking in the mirror, there's an image, but it's cracked or it's foggy or it's distorted. And then it actually distorted our image of God. Do you notice like God came and said, where are you? He didn't come and bring in the hammer to him. He, he wanted to, to talk with them. I want to explain a couple things that are pretty challenging in this chapter. I already talked about the nakedness and the shame. God pronounces two curses. He curses the serpent and he cursed the ground. Here's what I want you to see. He didn't curse Adam and Eve. He did not curse Adam and Eve. He tried to reason with them. And then, ladies, Mother's Day... (laughs) To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth your children. Thanks, Eve. Thanks for the epidural, right? I've learned from Tim Mackey, the Bible Project guy, who is a Hebrew scholar, we got this wrong. Our translation of pain in childbirth is, is a little misleading in English. The literal translation there is conceiving children. You will have pain in conceiving children. That's what, if you look up Young's literal translation in English, it's the word conceiving. And you see this pattern as you've been reading Genesis, right? There is, there's infertility. And anybody that's ever been through infertility know that that's a painful experience for a woman, a family, you know, a husband and wife to go through together. But you see this infertility and sadness. You see it in Sarah and, and we'll see later in Hannah and many others where there's this inability to conceive. There's, that's the, the storyline, the theme that goes through as well as jealousy because they had more than one wife. They would get jealous when they would 
give their you know, maiden to keep the family line going. And then, then they, would be, they thought they were doing a good thing. They were wise in their own eyes and it caused pain for them later because they thought, ah, we got this God. Hey God, uh, Abraham and Sarah. Hey God, we got this, Hagar. And all of a sudden Sarah can't stand Hagar. A couple cha- chapters later. So that's what that means. Is that good news? Fact check me on it if you want to, but it's the truth. <laughs> um, and then verse 22, in this results of, of them saying, hey God, we got this. Then God, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I used to wonder, what in the world does that mean? Did you ever wonder what that means? Like, that sounds kind of strange. Well, again, understanding the the organization of the Hebrew and the Hebrew thought. So, God did them a favor by exiling them out of the garden. That was actually an act of mercy. And we're going to see this in a few weeks, and the flood was actually an act of mercy too. Not just, God, I'm so mad at you. Get out of here. That's not what the the exile is about. They were in a fallen state. And if they stayed in the garden and they took from the tree of life, which is in the center of the garden, they would have eternal life stuck in a fallen state. They would have been unredeemable. So God in his mercy sends them out, which ultimately we see is, you know, Jesus coming and redeeming all that happened here and that we've perpetuated perpetuated over the years. Anybody ever had a sunburn? We're all, at least I'm pasty white right now, and we're getting some good weather. And if I go out into the sun and I don't put sunscreen on or I stay too long, I'm going to get sunburned. It's me not respecting the power of the sun. The sun didn't do anything. The sun was just being the sun in its, in its power. If I don't respect and fear the sun, I'm going to get sunburnt. Well, when it comes to Adam and Eve and, and, and us, unfortunately, sometimes, Adam and Eve feared God after their test. They feared afterwards. It says, you know, they, they didn't fear and believe him and trust him the way they should have. And that's how they said, hey, God, we got this. Um, there's a story you may have read if you've been doing the reading plan in Genesis 22 about a guy named Abraham. Abraham is called to create the nation of Israel, ultimately the womb of Jesus, you know, and create the people he's promised that he'll be, his, to his seed will be a blessing and multiplication and so on and so forth. Well, God tests Abraham in Genesis 22. They, Abraham and Sarah struggled to conceive this promised child and took matters in their hands as well. And yet they finally got pregnant in an old age and had a son named Isaac. And in chapter 22, God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, this promised one. God's not into child sacrifice. Let's don't, don't go there. It was a test. This whole understanding of would you obey me no matter what? And so he's, Abraham actually follows God's instructions. And just as he is about to sacrifice, he steps in, he says, stop. I know now that you fear me. And God provides a different sacrifice and so forth. 
The thing to take away for all of us, you're going to get tested in life to, to fail. You're going to get tested in life, be tempted in life. Fear God before the test and you'll pass it. Abraham feared God before the, te- before the test and he passed. Problem is when we don't fear God before we get tested, we're caught off guard and we become wise in our own eyes and go, can't believe I did what I did. Can't believe I behaved that way. So, the last thing in, in not being wise in our own eyes is I need to trust the remedy to, hey God, I got this. There's a remedy to unlearn that self-destructive behavior of thinking, I know better than God, or I know more than God. I know more than my Creator. What's the remedy to the temptation in all of this? It's probably not going to come as a shock to you, but His name is Jesus. (laughs) The remedy to, hey, God, I got this, is Jesus came on the scene and He said, excuse me, I got this. And he stepped into our world for us. And our remedy to our problem of, hey, God, I got this, is to say, hey, God, I don't got this. God, will you show me how to live life? And God says to us today, yeah, I did in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the, the, the image of God. He is what God is like. And he showed us how to live. Not only, he, he, obviously the gospel is that he laid down his life and submitted to death to conquer it through his resurrection. And he defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. But he also is our rabbi. He's our teacher. And if you want to know how to live, look at the life of Jesus. That's what being a human really is like. And I know how far I fail in that and how far from it I am. I'm still going to pursue it. As much as I'm going to fail, I'm going to continue to pursue after him. The good news is Jesus passed all the tests. He tested out on our behalf. It's a good, that's a good thing. I'd rather go with his score than mine. You know, but Jesus was tempted in every way, the book of Hebrews says, yet without sin. He experienced the same temptation and tests that you and I go through on a daily basis. And, he, and he, 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 he ate from the tree of life. He listened to his father. He listened to his father. And you know, we'll go back to questioning God's word. Um, Jesus is the living word of God. We talked about this last week. He is, he is the word of God. And we're going to be tempted to question his word. Did Jesus really mean it when he said, love your enemy? <laughs> Uh, Jesus, do you know what this person did to me? I'm supposed to love them. Did Jesus really mean it when he said, bless those who curse you? I want to do that. Are you with me? Am am I with the right crowd? Okay. Just being honest. So we're going to question and say, oh, that's for Jesus. He's the perfect one. No, we follow him. And he wants to shape our hearts and order the chaos of our life to walk the way he walks and to reflect who he is and how we live our lives. So I'd say two things about this. In letting Jesus have this, God, I don't got this. I want you to have it in my life. The first thing is follow the instructor. Jesus is the instructor. 
He knows what life is about. He created you. He created me. So let's go to him and follow him in his ways to understand what life's about instead of me being wise in my own eyes, learning how to be wise from his perspective. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. How many are grateful for that? Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The definition of wisdom is to be able to see life and interpret life from God's perspective. That's what it means to be a wise person in the Bible, is how does God see things? How does He interpret life? And the more we're engaged with that and embrace that, the wiser people we will become. We will be less wise in our own eyes and more fear the Lord and walk in His wisdom. The second thing is, I would say, follow His instructions. He's our teacher, our instructor, and He's given us His instructions on how He wants us to live. And the beautiful thing about Jesus as our leader, He's never going to ask you and I to do something He hasn't already done Himself. He's the, he's the perfect leader. David, in the Psalm 111, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Again, not being wise in your own eyes is the beginning of wisdom. That's important right now that you hear this. I was convicted putting this together. So I'm I'm preaching to me and you just benefiting from this. (laughs) I hope. (laughs) It's convicting, all right? But conviction is a good thing. if, If there's something going on in your life where you're feeling conviction, thank God for it. Thank God that you you can feel that because conviction is from the Holy Spirit and it's good. Condemnation is from the evil one and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, So don't forget that. But what God wants you and I to do on a daily basis is to take responsibility for our lives Take responsibility when we blow it. Take responsibility when we speak to someone the way we shouldn't speak to them or do something, hurt somebody, whatever it is, that repentance and taking responsibility are the joy, actually very joy-giving things when we exercise them. When I avoid repenting and I avoid taking responsibility, then it's just like, ugh, you feel this heaviness on you. Get good at repenting. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. repentance is simply you changing your mind and changing your direction that has to happen hourly right because we're tempted we're tested in Titus we're told that the the grace of God talking about Jesus has appeared to all people teaching us to say no to ungodliness Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and trying to do things in your own power is just going to make it worse. His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's the power to do what we can never do on our own. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I am aware of my own stuff. But I'm also more aware of His grace, too. The more I'm aware of my own junk, the more I'm aware of how loving and good 
He is to me. And I know that's the experience of many of you guys as well. When we got into the consequences, the result of being wise in our own eyes, um, we felt those experiences of guilt and shame and so forth, forfeiting innocence. We experienced those consequences. But I got good news. Great news. You want to hear it? Great news is that Romans 8.28 says that God works all things to the get together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That means even our failures, he can take those things that we've experienced, the consequences, the brokenness of, I'm going to be wise in my own eyes, make my own decisions outside of God. When we stop and repent and take responsibility and we say, Lord, I gave it back to you. He says, okay, let me work this for good for you. Many of you have experienced that. You've experienced the, ah, what, what did I get myself into? To look back and say, look what God did. Look what God did in working this. We, we cooperate with him in that. But he's the one working it for good. Will you stand with me? I pray this has been helpful and hopeful to you. Um, and I pray for you parents and, and grandparents and teachers and people who have influence. Um, I pray for our young people to embrace this. If I had it to do all over again and I could go back and tell my right around 15 years old self, I would say, follow Jesus. He's got the best plan for your life. And I made a mess of my life from 15 to 25. I'm still a mess, but I'm a, I'm a mess now that's following Jesus and walking in the freedom and free from, from the guilt and, and all of that. And I would say, young people, you don't have to go down that path. I know many people who have followed Jesus all their life and they never went through all the stuff and doesn't mean they're pain-free, but you're free from the junk that, that sticks around that we have to get healed from as we grow older. So, Father, I pray for all of us to not be wise in our own eyes, to look to you, our creator, our maker, our redeemer, and follow what you say. Jesus, we want to put into practice your words. We want to live in your freedom, and we want to become loving people who walk in peace and joy and forgiveness. Lord, we, we admit today, Lord, we don't got this. And I pray for anybody in this room or listening online that if you've never given the keys to your life over to Jesus, today's the day. To, to repent in your, in your change your mind, change your direction and say, I give it over to you, Jesus, my life. And for us to just continue to walk in your grace, God, and to walk out in this broken world. For your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.